Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This podcast series explores HR hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life HR learning and OD professionals. The HR Uprising is about learning through collaboration and evidence-based action. We want colleagues to have the confidence and skills to rise up through their organizations by delivering real, lasting business value. Now, introducing your host, chartered psychologist, experienced change agent, entrepreneur, speaker, and coach, Lucinda Carney. Hello, and welcome to this week's Lockdown HR Uprising podcast. I hope that you're all surviving and maybe thriving. Certainly, I've noticed how it feels like we're going through phases. I don't know about anybody else. Um, If you're listening to this real time, does it feel like it's getting harder to um, stay up? I don't know. I feel like we're going through the change curve, frankly, which is a, a podcast we've talked about before. So anyway, I hope you're all doing well and picking yourselves up and feeling as positive as you can be. A lot of it's about focusing on what we can do and what we can control. And this week's conversation is with a lady called Rhiannon Stafford, where we talked about engagement surveys and, well, whether or not they actually measure engagement, what the potential value of them is. Now, of course, we actually recorded this podcast before the coronavirus hit, so it wasn't discussed in that context. However, actually, as I listened back to it, there's a huge amount of food for thought for us as line managers and as our HR professionals as to what does engagement feel like now? How do we keep our our colleagues engaged? And much of it, I think, is about um, empathy, just all of the traditional measures of engagement are, do I know what's expected of me? Are we giving people clarity of what they can do to contribute to have that sense of purpose, which I think is quite hard as traditional work has dropped down. Do we have that sense of purpose? We need small goals. We need to feel like we're achieving things. Are we giving people recognition and acknowledgement and showing we care? All of those traditional drivers of engagement are so relevant at the moment, although the context is different. And then again, also, I think if we think about going back to normality, which we assume will ensue in some form or other um, in the not too different f- distant future, I hope. Well, what will engagement look like then? Again, there's probably going to be some level of recovery. And I think that engagement is going to be quite key to mental health. So how we can ensure that people feel valued, they have the support they need to recover from this. So I felt that although... The topic was a discussion that we had not that long ago, but five, six weeks ago, uh, thinking about the context that we're in now in relation to engagement is tremendously relevant. And there's one thing that Rhiannon mentions, she says, you know, it's a tough job being a line manager. Well, it really is a tough job being a line manager at the moment, isn't it? So this could be something that we can help and support people with. So I hope you enjoy this. Um, I hope you're keeping well. And thanks again for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. As ever, if you enjoy what we're doing, please do take a moment to link in on social media with me or to give us a review. We're really, really grateful to people who take the time to do that and share share what we do with others so that we can get a wider and broader audience. So over to now to this week's episode. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And this week, we're going to do a masterclass. So I'm delighted that I've got Rhiannon Stafford with me today from Blue Grape Talent. Rhiannon's going to talk to us about employee engagement, 
Is it the same as employee engagement surveys or employee experience? And we're going to have a bit of a chat about this and she's going to take us through some of her thinking. But before we do that, Rhiannon, would you be kind enough to introduce yourself? Oh, thank you very much, Lucinda. And thanks thanks for having me. I'm quite excited about doing this. A pleasure. Um, so as you said, I'm Rhiannon and I run Blue Great Talent. Um, we, uh, I kind of describe ourselves as we're a, we're a people development business. Um, we help organisations who want to grow by developing their people and their culture. But we're very much around human relationships. And we like to think kind of intelligent, fresh ideas, really. Um, and so employee engagement, and more specifically, the employee experience is really at the heart of, uh, of what we do and what we believe in at Blue Grape. Yes. So it's it was an interesting this one, wasn't it? Because off air, we were having a bit of a chat. I, I certainly... Back in the day, about 15 years ago, um, I worked, the company I worked at, we actually used to run the Gallup Employee Engagement Survey, and, and we had a bit of a, a debate about, about that. Um, as to, certainly, I wish I'd um, claimed, claimed that they made an awful lot of money out of that. So yeah. I guess I'm intrigued here. So what, what would you define as the difference um, between employee engagement, the surveys, employee experience? What's your thinking here? Well, we have started to almost kind of see the whole engagement. How do we engage people? Oh, it's all right. We do engagement because we do the survey. And a bit like you, Alicinda, I was exactly the same back in my corporate days. I was the one that spearheaded, we must have an employee engagement survey. You know, we did it once a year and it was a big event and, and it took up lots of time, energy and effort. But um, really, I started to, to, to kind of realise... But as human beings, we're not engaged by a survey, are we? <laughs> that seems so obvious to say now. Yeah. What, what's the difference? Yeah, I think the um, I think employee engagement, being engaged, is kind of the output. But the thing that drives that engagement really is our experience as an employee. Um, and when we talk about employee experience, I kind of sum it up as as really the sum of all the perceptions and thoughts that employees have about their interactions with their employer. So it's kind of, what's well, all inclusive. Your experience is what you feel about working for your employer. Whether you feel engaged or not really depends a lot on your experience. So there's, there's an input, I suppose, is the experience and the output is whether we feel engaged or not. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And would you, do you think that the um, output, the engagement survey score is an accurate is actually an accurate representation of the actual experience well that's a really interesting question personally and I'll be honest I don't have any science or kind of lots of research behind this but no I don't because and it was kind of thrown back at me in all my days working in the corporate world being a engagement survey advocate well, come on, Marianne, it's really only how someone feels on that day and at that point in time. And actually, I can see their point because it is we we kind of have a survey open for a number of weeks or days normally, don't we? Yeah. And then we we rally around and we say, come on, everybody, please, please complete the survey. And we get quite obsessed about uh, response rates as well, don't we? You know, what, what's a good response rate or not a good response rate? But we say, you know, it's, uh, it's optional. You don't have to complete. But really, the, the amount of questions that we ask that person, they can really only draw conclusions based on how they feel at that point on that day. And I don't think it's as simple as, you know, 
they've had a bad day at home or had an argument with their with their manager they'll give you a bad survey result but you know as human beings how we feel there and now in the moment that kind of affects it does affect hugely doesn't it the actions that we take so yeah. no I, I don't think it's the best real score of or mark of whether someone is engaged or not yeah, you maybe because it's. Uh, I was just thinking about when we do things like three sixty feedback, and if I've done a, if I do, if I'm mm. prepping someone for a the feedback, I'll say this is a point in time. Someone, you know, they their feedback could be influenced by their most recent the recency effect, their most recent interaction with a person, and it's not necessarily the whole picture. So I can definitely see that sort of annual surveys would have that. That is a criticism we could aim at annual surveys. But would you say it's a criticism, you know, there's lots of people talk about wanting pulse surveys now. Do you think they're better? Well, I, I do think they're better as long as they are shorter and sharper because um, you know, well, a, a pulse survey for me, not necessarily about asking you everything that you feel and how do you feel about the organisation right now. I think the most valuable pulse type surveys refer to something that has happened, an event. So it might be something like, look, we've just, we're, we've just finished off a reorganisation. How do you feel about that right now? How do you feel about the decisions that we took. We've just rolled out a new policy and you've just started to, um, whatever, an expenses policy. How do you feel about that? Isn't that a little bit more helpful as an employer? Because you get, you're asking someone their specific thoughts and feelings about something in particular, mm. rather than just, hey, how do you feel about working for us? Uh, which I think is just a bit too big um, and but too broad. Yeah, because it's almost like it might end up being a bit of a mood survey. Almost like, you know, what? What if I have heard of these sort of almost temperature checks? How do you feel this week or next week? But I'm not sure whether that, unless that goes directly to the line manager and they can sort of engage and actually realise that they've got someone feeling a bit down in the dumps or something. I'm I'm not quite sure how you use that. And I guess I, I, if you've got experience of people doing those sort of things as well, those temperature type surveys yeah it's it's the thing yeah, I've got to be honest is what I, I see when I pass through the checkouts in the local supermarket yeah. you know how, was, you, know, you get that, that and I don't know how it's a little pressy button but it was how you experienced the checkouts today but actually I think that's a little bit more helpful because it's specific and as an organization I can do something about that I had a pretty poor experience at the checkouts today right okay let's have a look at what's going on we can we can focus in on something and it's easy. It doesn't require stacks of analysis because I've here's one of my little hobby horses. I'll get on there as well. It's hard being a line manager. It's really yeah. hard work. And our traditional approach to the engagement surveys is that we ask lots of questions about uh, from from people, produce lots and lots of data, and then we chuck it over to the line manager. We kind of say, "There you go, guys. You know, analyze that. Go through that." Um, oh, it's anonymous, by the way, so that's a bit more difficult. But you'll have four or five different pages of graphs, and you're probably going to get a really cool online tool that can make it can help you um, find all the different correlations. And they haven't got time, let alone the skills, because I struggled, if I'm honest, when I worked in HR and getting access to all of these engagement survey results. It, it suddenly then the time the energy and the effort comes on trying to analyze the results and understand it and just too much information can just really blow your mind sometimes yeah and, and as you say it line management is a tough job anyway you might not know who's said what and then you're expected 
to do something with it, really, aren't you? You've got to decide. Yeah. And, and I, I remember we used to end up going into action planning. And I'm not saying that's the wrong thing. I'm not sure actually what else you do. But it's almost, you know, there's all this data. And you had to just pick up a couple of actions to try and move things on for next year. Mm. Mm. Yeah. But, but to get to those actions is really hard work because we give them all of this kind of data and analytics. And then we say, actually, you know, get, gather some people around you in your team to help you maybe, you know, run some focus groups and to uh, decide what actions they, they, they want to take. Um, and it, it just takes an awful lot of time away from what we really want managers to do, which is being there with people and trying to deliver for customers through their people. It's, um, it's a tough one, I think, for managers. I think it's just, it is quite interesting because actually looping back to your very first point is actually if you get to an action plan, quite often I, I used to see people doing relatively transactional things because it's actually quite hard to change the employee experience. If the purpose of this is to measure the actual sort of experience, which is quite a, a broad, I don't know, I'm not sure how you describe it really, but it's very broad, mm. uh, you can't fix it, if you like, necessarily by a couple of actions. And obviously, people would often do the things that were there within their control as a team, maybe, and it might be, oh, let's get, <clears throat> I don't know, fruit bowls at work, or uh, <laughs> it, it becomes quite transactional, almost hygiene factor type things which should come in as opposed to the deeper stuff, which perhaps actually genuinely influences the experience. Yeah, yeah I mean, absolutely spot on. And I, I can remember actually, um, some of the guidelines we used to give to these poor managers was, you know, focus on the things that you can influence. Don't think about the, the bigger things that you can't influence. Um, so, yeah, it did end up to be quite transactional. And, yeah, fruit bowls or beers on a Friday and yeah. things like that. But it's that really addressing people's engagement and their, and their experience. Because let's kind of pull back the layers of engagement, isn't it? I'm not saying engagement is the same as motivation but a big part of engagement is motivation and we all remember probably from our HR school days about intrinsic motivation extrinsic motivation well it's the intrinsic it's that motivation that that comes from with you I want to do this because I really want to do this that's the type of motivation that really drives engagement but by the way we've approached engagement surveys and action plans, we're really only giving managers or, or telling managers to think about those things that we find extrinsically motivating, the fruit bowls, the beers on the Friday. And then we're kind of saying to them, but you can't do anything about pay, bonus, policies, which could be the bigger levers that could really affect people's um, extrinsic motivation. So I don't think our traditional approach to engagement is actually really enabling us to tap into and really drive things that are important to people intrinsically, which which is a big factor in engagement. So what sort of things would you see as being the influences of that employee experience, the intrinsic motivators? And this is this is where it becomes really difficult because it's not one thing only. It, it's about, see, I think it's going back to the very start almost. And going back to thinking about what type of relationship are we developing with our employees? So, and, and we all learned this when we were back in HR school, I'm sure, the psychological contract. And thinking about, well, actually, how, how are our policies, procedures, actions, how could that land for our people? If we take this decision, what could that look or feel like for our, for our people? That's more around 
the experience rather than just looking at how do we engage people through, um, through measuring their engagement. It's about having a different mindset to the way that we set up and establish this uh, working relationship. And I'm starting to hear a lot more these days, and it's re really positive, I think, about recognising that, well, employees are human beings for a start, and human beings with a stuff full of emotion, we make mistakes and we make the wrong decisions, and uh, we don't always do what we're necessarily kind of told or think we should do. But we don't necessarily allow people to be human beings at work anymore. Um, I don't know if you've heard around there's a lot of humanizing the workplace, a lot of, of kind of um, thoughts coming out around there. I haven't. I've seen lots about put the human back into HR, but not so much the what would do, what's humanizing the workplace? Well, I, I think I think it's kind of for me. I would say it's it's the same kind of thing. Yeah, recognizing that, that um, employees are human beings, and for a start, human beings are all individual. So um, back to my, one of my little hobby horses, I suppose, with engagement surveys, we uh, we make everything anonymous, don't we? Because we say we want to protect your your feelings and your thoughts. You know, we want you to speak out and to be and to be honest with us. Well, I think that in itself kind of sets a bit of a tone for that psychological contract. So we want you to be honest with us. Um, so we'll make this anonymous. And how many times do I used to have people say to me, "Oh, but you'll." You know, you, I'm sure you recognize who I am for my IP address or, you know, the number of people in HR that might sit in this age category. We're, but we're setting up already this kind of distrust between the employee and the organization. Why do we have to go out and say this is an anonymous survey so you can be really open with us? What's the first thing that springs to employees' minds? Why? Why, why, why is it going to be anonymous? Well, um, why? Are you going to find out what I'm going to... It, that I think doesn't help, and that doesn't help people feel like human beings. It make it helps them feel more like numbers or uh, you know statistics on the, on a spreadsheet. And I suppose I was just thinking about there's a slight tension where we talked about things on other podcast episodes where you might want to be data driven or evidence driven on something, and a survey. Well, I don't know if it matters actually whether it's anonymous or not in that context. You could use it as evidence of something if you wanted to bench mark something or, yeah. or, or move it on so I can see how that works but to your point about the anonymity in an ideal world that I, I can you want to have a feedback culture where people feel quite comfortable to tell you how they feel um and so that, and almost like to tell you how they can feel better or or otherwise um and so you're you're suggesting really that actually that style although you get I guess you get some data out of it it may actually perpetuate a less positive or a distrustful culture yeah yeah absolutely and just the nature of the questions also that we ask I think can drive that less positive culture as well we're asking you to comment on what you think about working around here and um, what you think about your manager as well now if you those two things doesn't necessarily drive engagement engagement is is um it's individual, isn't it? This is part of the let's treat people like human beings and individuals. We're all engaged by different things. But going back to the days of Gallup, they, they came up and decided that these are the common themes that if we get this right, everybody will be engaged. So that assumes a one size fits all. And we know human beings are not one size. So I also kind of challenge the type of questions. Why do we why do we need to ask people how they feel about working around here 
why don't we try to better understand and ask them, what do they like doing? What would engage them? So I think it's a different type of questions because I think you're dead right, Lucinda, with the, with the, the number, the data. That's the kind of world that we live in. We, we do need to be data-driven. So whereas I'm not saying forget engagement surveys altogether, but if you do want to do them and do need to do them, let's think differently about the type of questions that we ask people. And isn't it more helpful and, yeah, let's say engaging if we ask people about what they like, what engages them, what, or what their, their aspirations, their enjoyment. And if we understand that on an individual level, rather than just generally, how do you feel about working around here and your manager? Yeah, and I liked that question that you gave as an example, because that's, that's involving them in the future, as opposed to that's what's the status quo and almost setting you up to be critical as well. It's actually thinking, um, what would you like more? It's almost appreciative inquiry. You know, how can we be even better at what we do? Yeah. That sort of approach. Yeah. And, and if we start it from the mindset that everybody is an individual because they're human beings and everybody likes something a bit different. So rather than assuming this is the, the checklist that we need to comply with to make everybody engaged, let's start off with thinking, well, they're generally good things to do but everybody is an individual. What if I, as the manager, get to know what, my, what, what each individual in my team really finds exciting, challenging, um, enjoyable, and try to manage the work so that I'm tapping into their, their strengths, really, and what they enjoy doing, rather than just asking general stuff about working in an organisation? I mean, and that's when you, you are really getting into something then, and... and <clears throat> In a smaller business, uh, often you do, you often do know people personally. I'm not saying you don't in a larger business, but what you do end up doing is uh, by understanding where people have key skills or otherwise, you can use people yeah. more versus, well, you need to get more things done in a small business in, that are broader than someone's job role quite often. So finding out that someone actually quite likes teaching themselves from YouTube videos could be a really useful thing to know um, yeah. and because you can utilise that, that knowledge. So I think perhaps in some small businesses, um, you can be better at that. But in a larger business, you don't necessarily, because the job is more defined, um, narrower by that sort of result, you, ne you don't necessarily get to understand those nuances as to what gets more out of somebody, what you know, what that person's passionate about, um, what gets them up in the morning. Although, and as I was say, thinking about it, in fairness to Gallup, I do remember one of the questions of theirs was someone, known, I'm, I, someone at work understands me as an individual, I am understood as an individual yeah. at work. So, of course, that is what they're trying to get at is does your manager have that understanding of you personally as to what gets the best out of you? Yeah, yeah, it does, isn't it? And I, I had the ability to use what I or do what I do best. Every day, uh, yes. Question. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So why that's we, why don't we help managers be able to do that yeah. rather than focus on an engagement survey? <laughs> Completely. So focus on how managers can have, build the skills to engage engage others, which is about making sure that they're not just being task-oriented, they're actually helping to tap into these individuals' key key talents, I guess, is it, and trying to yeah. bring them to life. Yeah. Again, because we come back to it, the line manager's job is blooming hard, isn't it? And, you know, I'm not saying this is the, uh, this is the only solution, but it, um, a what if, what if for one year you didn't run an engagement survey, but use that budget to focus on developing your line managers to be better leaders now that's not going to solve the world's problems I appreciate but it's a 
what if? What what kind of difference might that make? Because actually, you're rather than treating the symptoms, you're actually going to, in in principle, if that does impact on the experience, the employee engagement, you're actually going to have a better. You might not be able to measure it because you, <laughs> unless you can get a free survey, <laughs> but you you uh, you know that you're actually working on the things that are going to make the difference, and that's kind of your point, isn't <laughs> it? That that we've almost become too focused on the output of the the survey itself, the tool yeah. to measure, than actually the inputs that make the difference. It's, it's measuring the symptoms. Of it. It must be, there must be a medical analogy there. It's almost treating the symptoms rather than um, yeah, getting the underlying drivers of health within an organisation. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And um, I've got a lovely friend who's, who's a nurse, and actually we have numerous discussions about why, um, why me- medical world is trying to move away from diagnosis and then treatment to generally understanding what's happening and treatment even without without a diagnosis because doesn't matter if, you know what it is but we can see what the symptoms are what help would that diagnosis actually give us now uh, don't this is this is I'm, I'm by no means a medical practitioner so i don't want to kind of um uh you know move into that that area but i have some very interesting discussions with a friend of mine who's a nurse who's talking more around the, the profession has just become far too dominated by or dom- dominated by we've got to get a diagnosis before we do anything or we can see what's wrong the legs hanging off you know so let's treat that <laughs> is it you made me i was just I was, this might be a little bit of a, a detail but we'll not go off track too much but i was just wondering about the link between well-being because we're on that medical and um yeah. experience and how different they are i'm not sure have you got a view on that Ooh, oh oh now, well, I think well-being is greater than just the employee experience, but we spend that amount of our life in work, that, that much time in work. Absolutely, the experiences that we have at work, is, is, it has to have an impact on our well-being as well, doesn't it? And, and well-being in itself has become a little bit transactional. Um, I think I see people talking about what well-being initiatives are you going to run? Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same problem, oh, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. HR's not all about initiatives, is it? We do, if, you, if you strip it back, really, we're, we're in work for a long time of our life. Why don't we try to make that experience as humanistic as we can? Um, and one of the things that makes us human is that we're all a little bit different and we all respond to things in a slightly different way. Why don't we just try to upskill our managers so that they you know, understand that and, and then make policies so it's okay that we all do respond to things in a slightly different way and encourage managers to be able to be that, you know, to, to respond and to react to things in, a, in an individual way rather than just like um, conduct, disciplinary um, policies. If you do X, then you will be dismissed. Well, Maybe or maybe not, because do we really understand what made that person do X? I I went to an employment law update um, about a month ago, and they talked about a case where a gentleman who worked for Sky, the um, installers, you know, putting putting up your your Sky box on the side of your house, um, was dismissed because he went up the ladder um, without safety equipment. So you think on the face of it, hey, you know, gross misconduct, you can't be up ladders without your, your safety equipment on. But the when, when they kind of scratched beneath the surface, the, the, the tribunal found that he was uh, dismissed unfairly um, because his wife had left him a couple of weeks ago. 
took the children away. He he had a history of mental ill health. Um, there was all of that that was an underlying reason that, that contributed to his him in acting in that way. But sometimes with our policies, we can be very black and white. And that, you know, maybe that's not the best of examples to talk about employee experience because I'm not saying... But because no one really knew what was going on for him. They just went letter of the law and hadn't got underneath it without extenuating circumstances. Yeah, yeah. And again, understanding him as an individual, having some empathy, I guess. Absolutely. He'd worked there for so many years, completely, um, you know, clean record. This was out of character, but it was, you've done it. No, we cannot um, sacrifice safety. You're out. Um, I probably simplified that case far too much now, but... um, that that was the, the the kind of message I took away from there. I've got to say, I thought, I'm going to do a separate podcast on employment law and these sort of oh. examples. It's a minefield where I see some of the things that people are dealing with. It's a oh, yeah. not, I, not I, straightforward. I it, I? <laughs> but, um, well, but but I think there is a massive point there, though, that if we are connected to our employees, or if managers are connected to their employees, then. Um, then you're going to have a sense of what's really going on for people if they're acting out of character, um, yeah. <clears throat> you know, how to get the best out of them if, if there is something going on for them, which you know, it sh- should help you to to manage them better and to get the best out of them and, and uh, deal with something if you do have to use shades of grey. And I suppose the whole thing about employee experience is, it, you know, it is shades. It isn't black and white. It's good or bad. Absolutely. Yes. We want to get that sense of it. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's the, that's where I see the link between the experience, humanizing the workplace, that kind of movement. Well, if we want a positive experience, we do have to, to some extent, you know, allow people to be human, allow them to make mistakes and to learn from those mistakes um, and to recognize that we're not all going to respond in exactly the same way to each other. So I think there's, which I then think actually going back to your point then about well-being can only do more for well-being and actually maybe even the whole kind of inclusive workforce because if we're individuals it's okay to be individual it's okay to have a different view um which for me is about diversity of thought rather than just some of the more um transactional ways that we measure diversity some, some of the more kind of um the, the, the measures around employment law and what we need to do from a diversity perspective. It's really tricky, isn't it? Because it is this natural tension between doing the right things um, with all of those diversity, all of those things, and, and being able to measure that because it, we're increasingly driven to metrics and something on the balanced scorecard, you know. Uh, so that in order to get anything like that, you need to have metrics of some description about, how, you know, how much diversity inclusion you've got or what your survey results are. Um and I suppose the key is maybe yeah. we shouldn't be making it that the be all and end all. The measure is just simply a measure. It's a benchmark. It's progress or lack of progress. Um, and if we're doing that at the expense of the input, which is actually changing the experience or the sense of well-being, then that's where things have uh, have gone got turned on their head and it's it's not the yeah. way we want to drive things forward. And we shouldn't forget there's many other ways to measure experience and engagement how many people are are leaving your organization what Mm -hmm. are they saying to you um yeah what is the level of um maybe internal hires versus external hires there's lots of other ways uh, and i think sometimes a little bit more um helpful than just turning engagement into an overall number 
So yes, I, I, I mean, they're more incidental op- options, aren't they? There, yes, yeah, yeah. And and don't get me wrong, there are some very good survey tools out there that uh, I'm starting to see more and more tools that are moving away from just this one size fits all engagement model and to uh, an approach that does allow the organisation to better understand what really engages you as an individual and then puts that information in the line manager's hand. So it's not um, anonymous. Um, it doesn't ask you to comment on your the your, your boss themselves. It doesn't ask you to make uh, to a conclusion about whether you like the business or not. It's what, would, what could we do that would better engage and retain you? Yes. And then actually pushes the line manager to have a conversation with the individual. Say, oh, well, it looks like this, you know, high pay is really important to you or having social interaction is really important to you. Right? What, what can we do within the confines of your job that allows us to give you more of those experiences then? 100%. And I mean, that's for me, that fits um, either if the manager, if you did have a tool that <clears throat> did that on a regular basis, although <clears throat> I doubt that that changes, you know, weekly, that sort of thing, knowing what... Yeah. what knowing that about your your person and giving your manager the tools and the confidence to have that coaching conversation during a one-to-one or, or a, a career conversation, then that would be really, really useful, wouldn't it? And that's that's the sort of thing you yes. want. Yes. And and that and that for me is about engagement because it's really addressing their experience in work and what we could do to give them a better experience of the things that they will find most intrinsically motivating. Yeah, I got it. Great. So um, so I suppose just summarising some of the points that we've, we've covered, which I completely concur with, which you're saying it's, it's really about remembering that it's the experience that's the important thing, not the measure, which is purely the output, isn't it? Yeah. And then yeah. you said about um, in terms of the surveys, you know, the traditional once a year survey is a bit like the once a year appraisal. It's all that sort of thing. Actually, is that giving you what you need when actually there might be different types of surveys in terms of frequency, but also in terms of the questions that we might ask mm-hmm. um, in terms of making them more future focused or, or um, future oriented? Or also you said about specific surveys in relation to events. I thought that was a really good point. You know, if you want to so say they've got a, a specific purpose as opposed to very general that's um, it. One of yeah. those. Yeah, to give you insight into something in particular rather than just generally stuff. Yes. Um, and I like the fact that you, you, you made the point also, which is that there's m- other ways in which you can measure how engaged organisation, uh, how engaged you are. So you don't have to have the survey. You look at attrition, mm. I guess, a sickness absence, there's uptake on things, there's referrals, all those sort of things are really valid yeah. ways in which you can see how engaged your, your organisation could be in things like Oh, I say ideas, isn't it? When people do it, yeah. lots of things yeah. that people take up on, um, which is which is valid too in terms of of those things. And then your 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 sort of like, um, suggestion or challenge to an organisation is, you know, if you're spending money on an annual survey, what if you took that money this year and invested it in management yeah. development? <laughs> For a change, Absolutely. wouldn't that give yeah. you a better outcome? I was talking to actually my old coach the other day, and he said around one of his companies he, he works with um, spends best almost about two hundred thousand pounds a year on a survey, and he he challenged them in that way. Gosh, what could you do if you put that in your uh, leadership development budget? Oh my gosh, we could do so much. Yeah, yeah. What's stopping you? It's a heck what of is a lot. stopping you? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's managed. <laughs> 
It is interesting, isn't it? No, I mean, I, I remember the business I worked for was um, Gallup's smallest customer in the UK at the time. And I think they spent 100k a year. That's quite a decent amount of spend. That's quite a lot of management <laughs> development you could do there. Um, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. So, I'm thinking my days back in the corporate world. God, if I had a budget that big, I'd be, mm. uh, I'd be ecstatic. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's been really interesting, Rhiannon, in terms of, um, of, of the points you've made there. Is there anything else you want to add in terms of, of this that needs to summarise it? Well, the, the only then other thing is a, is a takeaway, because again, this is just my thoughts in my head here, I suppose, is because let's think about how we are treating consumers consumers these days it's all about getting to know your customer and your consumer i'm actually sitting here genuinely now my work today is my ideal client avatar that i'm trying to develop (laughs) Um, we're trying to find out so much more about our consumers and our customers to try to tailor our products and services to them if we're not careful we're going to miss this trick, I think, within HR, because people will bring that expectation into the workplace as well of individual uh, tailored experiences in work. We are we're, we're doing that so much with consumers, most definitely the next generation, my daughter's generation who's 14 now will enter the workplace not knowing anything other than being able to choose what she watches when she wants to and doing what she wants. If we're not careful, we're going to miss that um, from an HR and employee perspective. Mm. Real food for thought in terms of yeah, keeping up. We're always having to to uh, yeah to to personalise things and think about these ways in which yeah. we can uh, create the Netflix experience in our organisations. Just another challenge for the average oh, HR oh, professional. Yeah, there we go again. But that's. That's what our uh, employees of the future are going to be um, used to. They'll have grown up with that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Rhiannon, thank you so much. It's been great chatting to you this afternoon. Um, if people want to get hold of you, do you want to just let people know how they can get hold of you? And obviously, we'll put these details in, in the show notes. Uh, well, you can find us online, uh, bluegreattalents.co.uk. Um, that's probably the easiest and the, the, the best place to start off with. Um, or drop me an email um, if you uh, fancy, obviously be the hard one, because it's Rhiannon at <laughs> bluegreattalent.co.uk. I'm sure somewhere within your literature, you'll have my name spelled. It'll all be on the show notes, yeah. You're um, yeah. I mean, on social media, do you, are you active on, I know you're on LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn aren't you? I'm on LinkedIn in particular. I'm going to show my, uh, maybe a bit my age here. I'm starting out on Twitter. I probably <laughs> that, but, but yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm there. I'm there most days, definitely. Brilliant. And if there's anybody out there that knows a lot about client avatars, I'll happily do you a swap. <laughs> uh, that seems like a fair exchange, no robbery. Brilliant. <laughs> well, it's been great having, having you on. I thought I've really enjoyed having a conversation about this. I think it's some food for thought there as to how we can all bring employee experience to the fore and just be cautious and mindful about how we're using those um, those surveys in the best way. Yeah. Are they getting these as the outcome we're after yeah absolutely and thank you i really enjoyed chatting with you too super thanks Rhiannon. thanks bye now so i hope you enjoyed this week's episode and i hope you're keeping well and this is a little bit of news i wanted to share with people because well i think you've heard me mention before that i have a book coming out on the 21st of may and i'm now starting to go into sort of pre-launch activities to generate awareness of it it's called how to be a change superhero and there's going to be a series of um, courses available to support it um, webinars and other information like 360 feedback to support people in 
being good or better at doing change within their organisations, which is a fascinating thought when we see the change that's just going on all around us at the moment. So if that's something you think you'd find of interest, and maybe you might want to be part of um, our Launch League pre-team, the best way probably to do that is if you haven't already is to join our HR Uprising LinkedIn group or just connect in with me directly because over the course of May I will be putting out bits of information about the book and there'll be some special offers going out as well to people who are supporters and happy to um, help me make you know, increase awareness of it coming out given the fact that uh, it's going to be a virtual launch rather than anything else. So uh, if you're interested in that, do link in with me as as before. And uh, thanks again for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. You can access more information, including resources or links mentioned in the show at our website, www.hruprising.com. Also, you might want to join our LinkedIn community or tweet to us at HR Uprising. We'd love to hear from you.